0: I want to take you back in time to a very far and distant place. The year was 2000, and not everybody carried around a phone in their pocket. In fact, if you're under 15, this is going to blow your mind, but people would actually screw a phone into their wall in their kitchen, and they would welcome people to call them. When their phone rang, they were excited at the opportunity of talking to a stranger. This is well before, this is well before the time of robocalls where Colin was calling you 14 times a day to offer you a free cruise. And Michelle from the IRS was calling to let you know that you were delinquent on your taxes and you were in a lot of trouble amongst other fun conversations that you could get each and every day. But in the bridge between the excitement for answering the phone and the robocalls we all now get constantly, there was this beautiful period of time where telemarketers would start to call people and try to sell them all kinds of products. And when I was 17 years old, I was a telemarketer selling people mortgages. That's right. A 17-year-old was calling and selling people mortgages. And I was actually pretty good at it. I remember one Thursday, our boss came in, and he told the whole team, if you guys write up 10 leads, you're free to go home, and I'll pay you for the rest of your shift. Now, if you've never worked a job in telemarketing, thank the Lord for the blessing he's shown upon your life, because it is miserable work. And so the idea that we would get paid and get to go home early and not get hung up on or cussed out and, and have people yell at us, it, it was it was, a welcome, it was a welcome thing, plus you're, you're a teenager, so the idea to get to go home early is great. And 45 minutes later, our team wrote up the 10 leads we needed to write up in order to go home. And we all got to go home early, and we all got paid for the whole day. The next Thursday, he comes back, and he gives us the same challenge. Write up 10 more leads, and you guys get to go home early, and I'll pay you for the whole day. We got to go home 15 minutes early in week two. It was like everyone we called either wasn't home or didn't want to talk to us. They wanted nothing to do with us. And the challenge that week one was so incredible. It was so awesome. It was something that we looked forward to. And it was great. We loved it. Come week two, that challenge lost its appeal. Hey, if you have your phones or your tablets, join us on the Bible app today if you would. We're going to be looking at a story that Jesus told. And when Jesus would tell a story, he'd use it as a teaching moment. And these are called parables. And we're going to be looking at one of the parables that Jesus taught. And it's in Matthew 20. So if you have your phones or your tablets, you can follow along with us in the Bible app if you want to go to the events feature. And you can either enable your locations and select Lakeside Community Church or you can type in zip code 54201, and then Lakeside Community Church will pop up there. You can highlight verses, you can make notes, you can ask questions, and all things you can later revisit if you so desire. But we're gonna be looking at a story that Jesus told about a boss and about a bunch of workers who worked different hours, and how the boss treated them, and what that story tells us about Jesus, what it tells us about heaven. So join us, if you would, please, in Matthew 20. We're going to start in verse 1, where we read these words. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them in to his vineyard. So Jesus says right off the bat, this is what heaven is like, which means we should probably listen because I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to heaven. And so the idea that we're looking forward to something that we're going to be at for all eternity means we should try to get as much, as much understanding of it as we possibly can. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, in this context, the workday would start at 6 a.m. 6 a.m. was the start of the workday, and generally they would work 12 hours, especially in a time of harvest. They would work 12 hours, so they would work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. They would work that shift. That was the typical workday. And there would be places where where laborers would gather in hopes of being hired. They wouldn't have a steady job. They wouldn't work at one farm. Remember, when Jesus was, was teaching, he was speaking in regions which had a lot of farming and in industry and so Jesus would use a lot of a lot of stories dealing with farming and he went out and this was a scene that everybody understood because the owners of the farms, the owners of the vineyards, they would go out and they would bring in laborers just at harvest time. They wouldn't keep on payroll throughout the course of the whole year. And so the workers would gather in certain spots where the owners or the managers could show up and they would have their pick of the workers for that day or for a project. And so the workers would all gather and Jesus is, Jesus is setting this scene for us. So early in the morning, before the 6 a.m. shift begins, the owner of the vineyard goes out. He goes to where all the workers are assembled, looking for work, and he hires them, and he, he agrees with them on a rate. And that rate is a denarius, and that, that was the typical going rate for a day's labor. So typical pay for a day's work. So everybody's, everybody's on the same page. Everybody's on board. Everybody's excited. The manager gets the work. Workers that he needs, the workers get the work that they need, thus the pay that they need, they've agreed to a going rate, and everybody's happy. And then Jesus continues the story. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. So nine o'clock rolls around and the manager realizes there's more work than I thought. Any of you who've gotten a honeydew list from your wife, you know the feeling. All right, this project's gonna take a little bit longer than I anticipated. I am a king of this. There will be a project around the house, and I'll be like, yeah, give it an hour or two and 12 hours later I'm yelling for dinner and a third drink. I'm like, "Come on, help me please. I need water. I'm parched." And so we now have a rule around the house that when I'm doing projects, you stay away unless unless you bring unless you bring dad snacks. That's our rule to the boys. You stay away from dad unless you're bringing him water or snacks. It's just going to go better for everybody that way. I promise. But this is exactly what, what's happened to all of us. There's more work three hours in. You're like, all right, I, I need to get some more help. He goes and he hires more workers at 9 o'clock in the morning. And the agreement that he makes with them is this. Whatever is right, I'll give you. Whatever's right, I'll give you. So those who, who are going to be working 12 hours a day, he's already said, I will pay you the going rate of the day. Three hours later, you're going to be doing nine hours work. Whatever's fair, we'll settle up. At the end of the day, there's no guaranteed level of compensation. There's just this idea, I'm going to treat you fairly. And then going out, about, going out again about the sixth hour, verse 5 continues, and the ninth hour, he did the same. So he's got the workers that he hired for 12 hours. He's got the workers that he hired for nine hours. Noon rolls around. Six hours into the project, halfway, and you realize... We need more help. This one's a big one. We're, we're going to need to get some more workers out here. So he goes and he, he hires more. And three hours later, at 3 p.m., the ninth hour, he realizes we still need more help, goes and hires yet another round of workers. And then verse 6 says this, And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? 5 p.m., 11 hours of waiting. They haven't taken a job. They're just standing there. And at 5 p.m., he goes out and he asks them, What are you doing? Why are you waiting? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And so he shows up with just an hour left in the day. Just one hour left for people who've just been standing there. They've been passed over. They've been picked over. People have said, I don't want you on my project. I'm going to hire you, you, and you. You stay here. Maybe some of you have those scars still from, from dodgeball and gym class. It's like, yeah, you come over in this team. You're good over there. And you're like, well, i got to be on some team, don't I? Okay, maybe that was just me. But it, it was... It was. <laughs> These leave scars, people. These leave scars. <laughs> he hires he hires them that everybody else has picked over. Everybody else has left standing just there. And he says, hey, we got an hour to go. Why don't you come join us? You come work too. Now remember when we started the qualifier that Jesus gave. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. So I just want to talk to you for a minute. And, and we're going we're to keep going, but I just, I just want to talk to you. Maybe, maybe you're that person that's been picked over. Maybe you're that person that's been rejected. Maybe you're that person who feels invisible. Maybe you're that person who doesn't know what to do and doesn't know where to go. And everybody else would look right past you and keep on going. but not the kingdom of heaven. See, the kingdom of heaven is open to you who are isolated. The kingdom of heaven is open to you who's been picked over. The kingdom of heaven is open to you who's been rejected. The kingdom of heaven is available to you when no other door is open. God's door to you is still open. Now Maybe, Maybe you've been following Jesus for almost all your life, and you can't remember a time where you haven't followed Jesus. And we're going to talk about what that means and the implications of that. But here's what I want to challenge all of us to do right now. Here's what I want to challenge all of us who follow Jesus to do right now. Understanding that the kingdom of heaven is like this. And for some people, they work 12 hours a day. And some people, they work 9 hours a day. And some people work 6 hours a day. And some people work 3 hours a day. And some people worked 1 hour of the day. Here's what I want us to do for those of us who follow Jesus right now. I want us to think of at least 3 people. At least 3 people. In, In different brackets but I want us to think of three people. One, somebody younger than us. Somebody younger than us. Maybe a a kid or a grandkid or a neighbor. But somebody that we want to discover the goodness of following Jesus. Think of that person. And the second person I want you to think of is somebody in your age bracket. Maybe it's a coworker. maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a, a friend for a really long time. Somebody you really care about who needs the hope of Jesus in their life. And then the third person I want you to think about is somebody older than you. Maybe it's a grandparent or a parent or an aunt or an uncle or a boss or a co-worker or an employee, but somebody in your life who's older than you that does not have the hope of Jesus. And what I want us to do right now is just pause. And I just want us to pray for those three people, those at least three people that we've thought of. In the quietness of your heart, just cry out to God that he would reveal himself to them, that their walls would break down, And they would understand the hope and the peace and the love and the joy that can only be found as a result of following Jesus. I'm going to do the same, and then I'll say amen, and we'll continue our look. But in the quietness of our hearts right now, I just want us to pray for those people and ask God how he can use us in their lives to point them to him. Amen. Verse 8 continues, And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them for their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. So it's 6 p.m. If you got hired at 5 p.m., it's a great work day. You worked one hour. But now it's time to get paid. Pay the workers. It is, it is time for payday. So no direct deposit. This is back when you get cold hard cash and you, you've worked the day, they're dishing out cash. And when those hired, about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So those who worked for one hour were paid as much as those who worked for 12 hours. And if you're somebody who values fairness above all other things, you're, you're indignant right now. You're upset. You're like, that isn't fair. That's not fair. That's not right. These people only worked one hour a day. They shouldn't be compensated at the level of people who work three hours a day, let alone six hours a day, certainly not nine hours a day. And I can't believe that you would compensate them at the level you would compensate somebody who worked for 12 hours. They were furious. And if you're somebody who values fairness, truth is you're having trouble with this concept right now because everything about this screams this isn't fair. This isn't fair. And this is the appeal that all of us make at some point in childhood, where we just realize for the very first time that life isn't fair. And through either tears or a, a clenched fist, we yell out in rage and fury at our parents. That's not fair. There is there's a desire within all of us for fairness and justice. And we look at this And this is a lot of things, but it is certainly, it is certainly not fair. But he replied to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? When we put ourselves in the worker's shoes, we cry out, that's not fair. That's not right. But when we put ourselves in the owner's shoes, what we realize is this isn't about fairness. Fairness. It certainly is fair because the people who worked 12 hours were still paid what they agreed to work for. It just so happens that he was choosing to be generous to those who worked less and paid them the same. So here's a couple questions. First is, when we compare... When we compare what we've been given to what somebody else has been given, instead of being thankful for the gift that we have, we allow discontentment to rule in our hearts. And the question is this, does discontentment rule in our hearts? When we compare the way that we've been blessed, when we compare what we've been given And instead of being thankful for the ways that God has blessed us, instead of just being thankful for all that God has done in our lives, but when we take our gaze off of that and we fix our gaze on what God has done in your life and comparing what I have to what you have, and that becomes our focus instead of thankfulness for what we've been given in the first place from God, we invite we invite discontentment and envy to enter into our lives. And the question is, is that true of us? Is that true of us? Have we taken our eyes off how God has blessed us and turned it into a comparison? The danger is when we do that, we invite, we invite envy and bitterness and jealousy into our lives. Are you happy for other people? Are you happy for what they achieve? Are you happy for the success that they have experienced? Are you happy for the ways that God has blessed them? Or do you secretly wish it was you instead? Do you secretly want it to be you? That is the breeding ground. That is the breeding ground in the heart for envy and jealousy. Cheesecake's a, a pretty big deal in our house. It's just one of the desserts that, that everybody loves. And recently my wife had a birthday, and my parents got us cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory, which if you've never been to the Cheesecake Factory, it is a bite of heaven worked into a piece of cheesecake. It is, it is just magnificent. Uh, and, and I had my cheesecake, and, and the boys wanted to try my cheesecake, and I should have just said no, because as a parent, you really just need to set, you need to set boundaries. And I was getting ready to say no, and my wife, whose birthday it was, and the reason we had the cheesecake to begin with, shot me a look. And I'm like, all right. And so, father of the year, I took, uh, I took the fork, and I gave my youngest a bite. I took the fork, gave my oldest a bite. That's not fair. My youngest shoots back. I'm like, Why? because his bite was bigger than my bite. I'm like, well, he's older than you, first of all, and second of all, neither of you should be having any of my cheesecake. What's fair is you keep your mouths off my cheesecake and let me enjoy all of my cheesecake. That's fair. It's like, can I have another bite? No, you cannot. You have cheesecake right in front of you. Order a better kind next time if you're unsatisfied <laughs> with it. That's life, kid. That's how it works. But I wonder, I wonder how many times, how many times do we respond that way? How many times do we respond that way to God? When we've been given something and we're like, well, that's not fair. And the reason that we think it's not fair is because our our fix is taken off of the blessing and taken off what God has given us and what God has done for us. And instead, it's on what everybody else has. Do you feel like God owes you something? I mean, you don't have to answer that question out loud, but but in your heart, do you feel like God owes you something? We say it differently. But if you feel like God owes you something and he hasn't been faithful, you're on the path. You're on the path to getting in a place where instead of of realizing all that you have, and instead of realizing and focusing on the goodness of God, you're on the path to constantly comparing, and that will lead you to a place where you will never be satisfied because no one in human history has ever had enough when they compare to someone else. There's always the desire for more. And then verse 16 just hits us with this. So the last will be first and the first last. The kingdom of God keeps score entirely differently. Entirely differently. This is like one of those little leagues that doesn't really keep score from the outset, but only in the best possible way, in the best possible way. Instead of creating a bunch of entitled kids that don't appreciate anything, what the kingdom of God does is it, in, it creates within all of us, it creates within all of us blessing and goodness as a result of what God has done for us. What's interesting is over verses 17 through 19, we're not going to look at those right now, but you you should look at those this week. Jesus again foretells of his death. He foretells of his death. And then verse 20 says this, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked Jesus for something. And Jesus said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit. One at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. So James and John, followers of Jesus, their mom comes and she seeks out Jesus because, you know, they were just too scared to do it themselves. So they send their mom up to Jesus. And Jesus, just after he gets done telling everybody, oh, by the way, I'm going to die for the sins that you have and the sins of the world. Their mom's like, Now's the time. And so she goes up, and she says, Jesus, I heard you talking about the fact that you're going to die. Question for you. My two boys, James and John, what do you think about putting one of them at your right and one of them over, over at your left? Can my, can my son sit next to you in heaven? And then verse 24 goes on to say this. And when the ten heard it, the other ten disciples who weren't included in that prime seating arrangement of James and John's mother's request? When they heard about it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Oh, imagine. Imagine how mad you'd be. Oh, so you want the prime seats. And not only do you want the prime seats, but you're so scared about it, you send your mother to ask. Can you imagine what James and John were hearing from the other ten? I promise you there's a reason Scripture doesn't print for us exactly how the conversation went. I promise you. And this has got to be one of the most awkward death-related speeches ever ever i mean jesus is like i'm going to die for your sins can we get those seats once you're dead can we get those seats is that that gonna work out i mean have you ever have you ever been at a funeral with just an awkward speech i have i was doing a funeral and a friend of mine was there and a family opened it up for comments I never recommend that, but in somebody's time of grieving, I'm not going to tell somebody how to conduct their ceremony. And a friend got up. And they started talking about how their deceased friend was going to be leading the party in heaven tonight, drinking a tall boy and smoking a bowl. And my friend, my friend who's there just gets a smile on his face. And he looks at me and he mouths, really? Is he leading the party in heaven tonight? With a tall boy and smoking a ball? And I'm up front, so I can't just start laughing hysterically in front of everybody. But I'm shooting him the look that only a mother normally shoots at her kids when I'm like, shut up right now because I'm about to lose it in front of this place. But you could just see some people's skin crawl as, as they made this comment. If you've ever been at a funeral with an awkward speech, you know exactly, you know exactly The feeling that everybody has right now. And not only that, but they want the prime seats in heaven. And they're not sending their mom to ask Jesus about it. And Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever be great among you must be your servants. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And Jesus says, you've seen the power structure. You've seen the dynamic. You've seen how people in power love to hold it over everybody else. You've seen how it's gone to their head. You've seen how they're on a power trip. You've seen how they're drunk on their power. You've seen this, and this is human nature, but not so among you. Not so among you. And Jesus says, here's the path to becoming the greatest. Serve. You want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Serve others. This goes entirely against the thought process that we oftentimes see modeled to this very day. Certainly against the thought process that was prevalent in the time of Jesus. But Jesus says, here's the way that you can become great serve." Use your influence. Use your position. Not as a way of elevating yourself. Use your influence and use your position as a way of going out and impacting the lives of others. You use your position. You use what you've been given to go and to serve people. And then Jesus hammers this point home. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, this is the point. If you want to be the greatest, you go and you serve others, and I'm your example. I'm your example. If anyone should have come to this world and been served, it's me. It's me. But I came with a different purpose. And my purpose was to serve others. To lay down my life to secure their redemption. And the fact that we have any hope at all is a result of the greatest act of service that ever transpired. That God would send His Son to lay down his life, to pay a penalty that I cannot pay. Because the cost of my mistakes and the cost of my sin is death. And that's a physical death which we will all experience, but it's a spiritual death apart from my Creator in a place the Bible calls hell. But in spite of my rebellion, in spite of the fact that God created me so he gets to make the rules, and I said, God, I think I know better than you, and I want to do what I want. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. In spite of all of that, God's love for me was still so intense that he said, I still desire a relationship with you. And I'm not just going to take away all of your mistakes and erase them because I'm a holy god and there there is there is a price to be paid and I'm a just god but I'm going to pay the price for you you want to be great Remember your Savior. And when we remember what our Savior has done for us, it helps us keep so much in perspective. And when we remember what God has done on our behalf, and that we are not owed anything from God, but the fact that we can have a relationship with God is solely a gift, and it's available to us if we would only receive it and accept it. The fact that all of that is true, if we remember that, we remember whatever God has given us is a blessing. He doesn't owe us anything. And instead of comparing what God has given me against what God has given you, I remember that God has given me so much when I deserve nothing. We can't redeem people, but we can serve them. And let's make sure that our lives are full of serving others and pointing them to the hope of our Savior. God, I pray that we would be people who stop comparing, who stop worrying about what we have against what everybody else has. And instead, we would embrace the fact of your goodness God, I pray for the people that that each of us lifted up earlier in the quietness of our hearts. And I pray that you would give us specific opportunities this week to model the love and hope of Jesus to them. Whether that's in person or via a text or a phone call, whatever the case may be, I pray, God, that you would give us an opportunity this week to serve that person and to be specific in showing them the love and hope that they can experience through a relationship with you. God, help us remember Jesus that he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many and help us live with a desire to serve. In your son, Jesus' name we pray.